0: Welcome to the Quotivation Podcast. Together, we will unlock inspiration one quote at a time. Your host is America's leading emerging speaker. He is a former semifinalist in the World Championship of Public Speaking and is an expert motivator. Please welcome Jody Powell.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Quotivation Podcast. I'm Jody Powell, your navigator through the boundless world of inspirational quotes. Each week, a special guest and I will embark on an electrifying journey as we dissect, discuss, and decode those powerhouse quotes that light up our souls and set our ambitions ablaze. So buckle up, folks. This isn't your average podcast. This is the Quotivation Podcast, where every episode is a journey. So like, Follow, subscribe, set a reminder and tell your grandma to stay tuned and get ready to unlock inspiration, one life-changing quote at a time. It's time for another edition of the Quotivation podcast, and we are 5 episodes into our endeavor to help you when you're weak. Isn't it funny? How we tie certain feelings and ideas to a time of year. When we think about peace on earth at Christmas time or gratitude around Memorial Day, we're thankful at Thanksgiving, we're restful on Labor Day, we focus on love on Valentine's Day. But wouldn't it be amazing if we were able to feel grateful, thankful, Peaceful, rested, and loved every day of the year. Why can't we? Who's stopping us? The only person that prevents us from feeling this way every single day is the same person staring at us when we look into the mirror. Michael Jackson said he was going to start with a man in the mirror and ask him to make a change. What changes will you ask that person? That looks back at you when you look into the mirror. I, for one, want to love more. I choose love. I want to express my genuine love for mankind. What do you choose? I hope you can discover the changes that you want to make as we go through this episode of the Quotivation Podcast. And we're going to start this episode off like we always do with a shot a shot of motivation. This week, our Shot of Motivation is sponsored by Amy Real from Cross Country Mortgage. Amy is the real deal in all things mortgage. She's been a dear friend of mine for many years. She's a big fan of the Quotivation podcast. You need to check her out on TikTok. She's on TikTok. She's sharing our videos there. So if you're in need of a first or second mortgage, or maybe a mortgage on that investment property, or maybe you're interested in refinancing, give Amy a call today. Her phone number, 864 310 9337. That is 864 310 9337. You can also email her at amy.real at ccm.com. Amy Real, the real deal for all things mortgage. And Amy's NMLS number is 486 620. And once again, Amy, we thank you for sponsoring Shot of Motivation.
0: It's time for a shot of motivation, where the vibes like taking a shot, but the high is pure inspiration. This is a quick, powerful boost of motivation to fire up your spirit. Get ready for a rapid infusion of uplifting stories, impactful quotes, and game-changing ideas. It's the swift, potent dose you need to amp up your game and win your week. It's a shot of motivation.
1: I love you. Why does that feel awkward to say? Does it feel awkward to hear? I'm saying it to a faceless audience, many of whom I've never met, but I love you. Strange, isn't it? When did loving our fellow man become peculiar? When did telling someone that you love them become an invasion of their personal space? When did we stop loving Our World was a television performance that was broadcast on June 25th, 1967 as the first live multinational, multi-satellite television production. An estimate of 400 to 700 million people worldwide watched this performance. And at the time, it was the largest audience to ever view a television show. Now, the show concluded with a new song released by the Beatles. That song? All you need is love. Now, over the years, the song has been criticized for its simplicity and basic messaging. To say that love is all we need oversimplifies the many crises, situations, and conflicts around the world. But isn't this simple answer the only answer to unite our divided society? aren't we overcomplicating things by stubbornly pushing our beliefs and ideas ahead of loving one another? Could it possibly be that in the United States of America, a Republican could possibly love a Democrat? A Caucasian could possibly love an African American. A Red Sox fan could possibly love a Yankees fan. Or how about this one? A self-proclaimed Christian could possibly love someone who identifies with the LGBTQ plus community. Oh, that last one. That's an episode all on its own. Imagine that, a follower of Christ that actually follows the teachings of Christ about love. Hmm. I digress for now. According to all accounts, 76-year-old Betty Amick, or Granny Betty as she was better known, was a sweet, kind, loving person with an incredible story. She was a strong woman of faith, a model of what a mother should be to her two children, a a pillar of strength to her three grandchildren, and a sweet, loving soul to her four great-grandchildren. Granny Betty was more than a grandmother to her own grandchildren. Other children knew her and loved her as they would their own granny. Betty was married to Kenneth Amick Sr. for 33 years before his passing in 2005. Kenneth was a veteran of the United States Army and the Vietnam War. Betty was quite the fighter herself. She was a two-time cancer survivor. Her family says she never complained, never got down or depressed with her diagnoses. She always wore a smile on her face. On January 7th, 2023, Granny Betty went home to be with the Lord. No, it wasn't cancer that took her from us. She was too strong for that. It wasn't heart disease or natural causes. Granny Betty was murdered. She was shot and killed by a 25-year-old man whose road rage got out of control and he shot into the car that Betty was riding in. She was on her way to her 76th birthday party. Her murderer wasn't even aiming for her. She was not the target nor the perpetrator of whatever road injustice ignited the anger of this young man. But as the gunshots rang out on that ill-fated Saturday evening, the bullets found an innocent life to bring to a grinding halt. The life of Granny Betty. Now questions surround the circumstances of the shooting. The defense argues that the alleged murderer was defending himself after seeing someone in Granny Betty's car pull a weapon. But the circumstances of the shooting are irrelevant. You see... Betty Amick is still dead. What drives people to respond in such anger? What is it about being cut off in traffic or a driver ahead of us driving slow in the fast lane that sets us off? Here's a woman who has seen tragic world events like Vietnam and Desert Storm and 9-11 and most recently COVID. She had survived the big sea twice And because of one or two people's short temper, their incapacity to grant grace and love to a fellow human being, Granny Betty is no longer here with us. Betty Amick's story is not uncommon. According to Safe Motorists, 218 murderers can be attributed to a road rage incident over the last seven years. That is one person every 12 days. How many places do you go in your car in two weeks' time? 218 families lose a loved one. 218 more families are faced with a harsh reality that their loved one chose violence and ruined their life in an effort to right the wrong of the injustices of the roadways. Well, pardon me if I don't think that someone going 25 in a 35 zone is grounds for spending the rest of my life in prison. Instead of loving each other, despite our flaws, we hate each other because of them. The anger, the divisiveness, the hate speech, it's a rampant epidemic in our society. So how do we conquer this? How do we move beyond the hate and the divisiveness? We're not all going to agree on those polarizing topics that separate us. We all have flaws, so... We're going to do something inevitably to annoy someone else. So how can we move beyond that annoyance? How do we bridge those gaps? How do we bring those of different mindsets, ideas, and beliefs together? All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love love is all you need. Hmm. Such a simple answer. And that is your shot of motivation for the week. Go out and love someone today. You know who I love? I love you, Amy Real, the real deal in all things mortgage for sponsoring this week's shot of motivation.
0: This has been a shot of motivation from America's leading emerging speaker, Jody Powell. We hope it helps you win your week.
1: All right, let's get to our special guest this week. Michael Cogdill has had a remarkable 36-year career in television, earning recognition as one of America's most honored television storytellers. Beginning his journey at the young age of 22, Michael has accumulated an impressive 32 Emmy Awards for his contributions as a live anchor, long-form reporter, and newsroom leader. His extensive coverage spanned from significant national events such as 9-11, the Emanuel 9 Charleston Church Massacre, and the Susan Smith Child Murders. What sets Michael apart is not just his accolades, but the breadth of his interviewees, ranging from political figures like Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and John McCain, to cultural icons like the Doobie Brothers, Charlie Daniels, and James Brown, to powerful spiritual leaders like the Reverend Billy Graham. Despite rubbing shoulders with celebrities, Michael acknowledges that some of the most compelling stories come from non celebrities, showcasing his belief and the inherent value and dignity of every human life. Beyond his television career, Michael co-founded Heartstrong Media, a consulting and content company, demonstrating his versatility. He is also a writer for children and the child within us all. His children's stories such as Where Did Joe Go?, Letters from the Christmas Jar, and Cracker the Crab and The Sideways Afternoon reflect his commitment to reaching diverse audiences. A cum laude graduate of the University of North Carolina at Asheville, Michael holds a certificate in the study of rhetoric and oratory from Harvard University Extension School. He attributes his success to great mentors, hard work, and the compassionate values instilled by his working class roots. His first novel, She Rain, is set in the Western North Carolina mountains, and he is currently working on a new Southern novel, The Sinners of Honeysuckle Road. Michael remains dedicated to living mindfully and recognizing the value in the lives of people often overlooked around the world. Michael Cogdill, welcome to the Quotivation Podcast.
2: How are you, buddy? Hey, listen, after that, I need to go find this guy you're talking about. I don't know. (laughs) I can live up (laughs) to that. My heaven, you are so kind to me, man. God has been good to this boy, this small-town boy from Weaverville, North Carolina, I'll tell you that. Honored. I'm so honored. He is honored. I am honored to be right here, man. Good
1: well, well, he is fantastic, and I am excited to have him on this podcast. So it's so <laughs> good to see you. let go
2: third person the rest of the day. <laughs> right <here. I'm>
1: okay. <laughs> well, I know him and he's fantastic. So, Michael, so thank you fantastic. for being here. Yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 an honor to talk with you. It's fantastic to have you on. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about number one? What you've done in your career, some of the highlights that you're proud of and number two, what are you doing today particularly around things like uh, where did Joe go and your new novel that's coming out the centers of Honeysuckle Road?
2: You know uh, Jody that career came out of nowhere. Uh it is, it is the Almighty's doing. no one uh, no one believed it was possible except me in the sixth grade and I began to doubt it. but that's when I started uh, to want it. And I was watching the likes of Peter Jennings, uh, Howard K. Smith, the first person I ever interviewed in TV, scared the living daylights out of me. And I was one story at a time. I was taught by great mentors the power of caring journalism, and that's where it all came from. the The stories that you know that period of time, some of the some of the greatest heroes I interviewed are people you've never heard of, but we put them on television. People like a a, a little man who was on. Uh, omaha beach during d-day as a a medic and every boy he touched that day every single one of those boys died on him Mm. george campbell i love to talk about him in speeches uh george campbell was never president never vice president never in the congress he was never a movie star never a, a track star a music star but he was a hero and here's the important thing this is one of the things that drives me this is a man who felt like a failure he felt like he hadn't done, he felt like he'd let those boys down. It's Mr. Campbell. With all due respect, sir, thanks to your valor, not one of those boys, not one of them died alone. Mm. Thanks to you. You were the last human being on earth they saw. Good for you, sir. And he is, of course, in his grave now. We salute those World War II vets. But that's that's the kind of reporting, it's the kind of storytelling that uh, the career is built on. So it's really not my career, it's theirs. It is uh, the, the, that foundation. That's where that's where the credit belongs. Wow, and and that foundation really,
1: really giving the credit to the ones who who never received credit in the past. Those Correct. that, as you said, were often overlooked. Correct. Tell me about the passion that you have for telling those stories.
2: That story needs to be heard, especially now. I mean, uh, Jody, have you been to Costco lately? Mm. Go to Costco and just go to Costco and look around. Costco, any place like it. Yep. And look around at the anger. Look around at the loneliness. Look around at the despair. I see it everywhere in this country. Uh, and it breaks my heart. Yeah. Some of it is owing to what is pouring through the, you know, the, the pores of media and every kind of media in the world I'm talking about. It's all gloom, despair, murder, whether it you know, literal or figurative. You look at identity politics uh, today. There's there's no loving your opponent but opposing his views or her views. Uh, he has to be or she has to be annihilated. There has to be a stake driven through the heart. We've got to stop. We've got to stop and realize that we share this big ball hurtling through the abyss together. And um, hate is not going to get us anywhere but more hate. Love is what changes the world. Oops. And that sounds there, – there are people who will say, oh, you know, yada, 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 yada. You're just a children's writer talking about love. Aren't you sweet? There's nothing sweet about it. Well, what happened on Omaha Beach for Mr. Campbell and those boys? As love. It's not just devotion. It's not just patriotism. It is love, one man to another. One dying young man to a young man who managed to stay there, managed to survive that Nazi hell that rained off that, uh, off that hill. Hmm. This is what's going to save us. And that's what I love to write about and talk about. And it's so important in, in today's time,
1: as you said. There's so many things that we are that we are device th- that we're divided on that that right. are coming between us. And there are things that tear families apart. There are things that that end friendships that are of no consequence to the individuals right. that are fighting over them. Uh, right. there's, there's little that we can do to to um, to to bring about uh, peace just in ourselves. It takes togetherness. Right. And the more divided we are, the more at war we tend to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, Absolutely. and so, how do we how do we get there, Michael? What are what are what are the things that that an individual listening right now said that that's exactly the message that I need to hear? Now, what do I do?
2: But uh, the the short answer to that is stop the despising. I think mm. stop the despise. Stop despising someone who espouses this or espouses that, and you hate that. But do you hate the individual? There's a great apocryphal story about Abraham Lincoln. At the end of the Civil War, a United States senator came into the president's office. So, what do you propose we do with these um, uh, these these Confederates? Uh, and Mr. Lincoln looked at him and said, "Well, you go first, Senator. What do you propose we do?" The senator said, "I think we ought to hang them high, cool. every damn one of them. Hang them high." President Lincoln said. If I appoint you the national executioner, will you carry it out? The senator hung his head, turned and walked out, didn't say a word, according to the story. Now, think about how many people will be annihilated today on social media. Uh, There's no gunfire. There's no bloodletting. There's just the annihilation of the human spirit. The annihilation of another human being another human being because of a certain ideology, because of a certain uh, position on a matter. Um, and that person has to be killed. Sort of that the spirit has to be shamed. And I'm a big enemy of shame. It doesn't bring mm-hmm. great harm. I, the stories of my dad. He was shamed as a young man. He never got over it. Uh, we're, we're so busy shaming each other, despising on one another, hating on one another. We know what Dr. King said, you know, hate doesn't drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's right. Like light. You know, the dark doesn't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. We must grab hold of this. We must grab hold of it again. And and go for leadership that does that that does likewise.
1: Yep. And the weapons that are used today with with keyboards and Twitter and Facebook. Exactly. And they inflict so much damage, more so than I think a physical weapon like a gun would do. The, right. the, the death of the spirit of a person is more harmful than their physical death because Absolutely. it lingers it lingers and it lasts yeah and so it's 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 so true michael as as we go through and we think about um, how we make this world a better place, one of the ways that that you've decided to do that is to reach out to children and through through some of the books that you've written, talk to me a little bit about. Where did Joe go? And the letters from the Christmas jar and, 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 and our, and our friend with the sideways afternoon, the crack of the crab.
2: <laughs> crack Tell, of me, crab. You know, Tell me that, about that. that was, crack of the crab was the first one. I started writing that book, Jody, on a, a cardboard box in the garage. Uh, <laughs> my ex-wife uh, drew the pictures and, and we published sort of going around to schools and making the rounds, especially to those title one schools. You got these schools where you got 80% of the kids on free breakfast and free lunch. They're the kids who are locked on, man. They were locked on to the message, to the narrative of the book. It's written to entertain, but there's a there's an undercurrent of you bully someone, you bully yourself. You shame someone, you shame yourself because they're just like you are. Hmm. Believe that you belong. That's something my dad had, had a hard time doing. And you watch that book change what's up in the eyes of those kids. I've had literally tens of thousands of children at my feet. And watch that message of love. And it is, for want of a better term, a message of courage. Have the courage to love someone. Hmm. Have the courage to love someone who is a little bit different from you, but you know is just like you. Is suffering some of the same things you're suffering. Feels the same things you do. What is it? It, it, It's empathy. That book made a difference. I had a a young man come up to me after that book. And it's a very strong anti-bullying message. And this child is, uh, he's probably he's a grown man now. I hear it all the time. Hey, you know, people with a driver's license, you read to me when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> they'll put, they'll put some more gray hair on your head. Uh, I mean, he walked up to me after a presentation of the book, and he said, Mr. Cogdill, you changed my life today. Now, I'm thinking this child is horribly bullied. Um, he's, he's a victim of many in the schoolhouse. And so I kneel down to him, and he says to me, I have been the worst. I've been the worst kid around here, man. He said that to me, he's like eight years old. He's talking to me like a grown man. And he said, um, you taught me that I don't have to do that anymore. And who knows what this child's home life was like, how he had been taught that that's what he had to be in order to feel strong, to feel like he belonged. But let's look at that and look at the difference that might've made for one, two, five of his victims and what difference it might've made for him. There was some research done several years ago on death row in North Carolina. The researcher found that um, the inmates on death row fit into one of two categories. Worst bully in school or the most bully. Wow. It all went back to that. Hmm. That's how we're trying to change the world with the children's movement And make them laugh and make them cry for the best reasons to.
1: Absolutely. And and that story is so powerful because, as you said, the, the young man bullying others the the impact that he had on the number of people right it's it's one thing to recognize the victim Mm -hmm. and to pour into the victim and to guide that victim to some form of healing it's quite another thing to find the perpetrator Mm -hmm. and pour into him or her right correct and provide healing there because now that has such a ripple effect that's where it stops
2: that's where it has to stop, is at the purpose rate or level. Yes. Be it domestic violence, uh, physical abuse, mental abuse. Um, <laughs> what, what you're hearing on the TV news today, which is, you know, one crime, one human tragedy after another. Um, there has to be an empathy that takes over, ultimately. And, and I believe what Mr. Faulkner said. We, we are not just going to survive here. We mm-hmm. are going to prevail. Yes. We will prevail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And where did Joe go? Michael, where did he go? Joe, Joe, as, as my dad would say, Joe went over home. This, by the way, is Joe. Can you, can you guys see this? That's that's Joe and that's Jess. That's an actual um, illustration from the book. Joe is a horse. And uh, and that's Jess, his best friend. They are best of friends from early, early days. Hmm. Um, and they, they romp and they play. Little girls grow up. They go off to school. Horses long for their best friend. Horses grieve just like human beings do, and one day, because human beings tend to outlast horses, Joe has to go. Hmm. He goes across the river into a meadow full of flowers where they used to play, and he dies. Hmm. What then? People say you wrote a children's book about death. Yes, (laughs) yes, I did, and with a very uplifting ending. And so Jess comes. She's a grown woman by then. She comes running home. She runs home to her nana. She cries. Where did y'all go, Nana? And Nana, of course, all, oh, Nanas are wise, aren't they? They are. It's like Evan McCain said when he wrote the foreword, we all want our Nana to tell us everything is going to be all right. Nana says, he's right there. He's right here. Every time you remember him, every time you recall him, every time you love him, death is no match for love. Every time that happens, you give him immortality. He's here. He goes everywhere with you. Everywhere, love is its own immortality within us all. That kingdom within us all. That's what the book is about. <laughs> so when people if they, they chide me, I, I I can't I'll listen to the death. Oh my God! It's like no, just keep reading, <laughs> keep reading. There is a there is an updraft, a very strong updraft at the end. Yes. And uh, I, I wrote this book a long time ago, and it's just now now coming uh, coming to market. It'll be uh, be here later on this year, about mid about mid year.
1: Fantastic, and we definitely want to um, provide information for everyone. How when it's released? How will we know? How can we get our hands on it?
2: There will be a dedicated retail site. There will be a big publicity blast. Uh, social media, Facebook. Come to my Facebook page. It's Michael Cogdell LLC. There will be one dedicated to to where did Joe go. You know, it'll it'll be all out there. So you'll you'll see some publicity on it. But the book's title is Where Did Joe Go? And this book is. 5% me and 95% the illustrator. <laughs> and, and Jody, you know about the illustrator. Mm-hmm. Of this book. Yeah. You talk about one of the stories that I was blessed to tell. He's one of the biggest. He really
1: is. Tell us about that. Tell us about the, the, um, the way that that came together. What, what a powerful story and collaboration.
2: So you look at this, now this is, this is Jeff from the book. And doesn't that. Doesn't that remind you of, you know, a very famous artist? Um, Especially think about Marc Chagall, this very Marc Chagall. The illustrator of this book is a young man, still a young man, named George Pachepsov. He's Ukrainian. George Pachepsov, when I met him several years ago, he was uh, being compared to Picasso and Marc Chagall all over the world. He was um, really praised as one of, if not the most famous, most gifted modern artist in the world. What made it interesting is George Pachepsoff at that time was 11 years old. Wow. And doing this. This <laughs> and so much more. Now he was about 28 when he did that. But to to, to ratchet back to to where we were, one of my um, my great photography friends, John Hendon at WFF4 and I did a piece on George Pachepsoff. He goes off, it wins an Emmy. I take no credit for that. It's John Hinden, and it's the power of George Pachepsov. George Pachepsov is a true out of this world prodigy. I mean, you you just this this doesn't happen um, in in ways that we as mortals can 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 conceive it. The first thing he ever drew, he was around 18 months old. He'd seen two women having a conversation out the window. He's sitting in his high chair. He cannot talk. He's in a high chair. He draws a picture of these two women talking. His mother, who's taking care of his dying father at the time, comes and she looks at that. It's an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper drawn with Crayola markers. And she literally thought somebody, Jody, had gotten in the house. <sighs> Couldn't believe it. Wow. That little drawing <laughs> um, eventually got into the hands of an art dealer because it was phenomenal. It looked like Mark Chagall had done it. Uh, the art dealer sold it for $10,000. Wow. So from fast forward, George, they call him Georgie, his mom still does. <laughs> he now hangs in Oprah's house, uh, Colin Powell, Celine Dion, Michael Jordan, on and on and on and on. He's doing commission work when he's eight and 10 years old for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So his mother realizes this is the first refrigerator art my child ever did. I want it back. It cost her $40,000 to get it back. Wow. And it's hanging in her house in Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina right now. That is George Pachevsov. He's now a Harvard grad, um, handsome, brilliant. He's that he's that guy you want your daughter to marry. That's <laughs> that's the guy right there. He works for Apollo. Uh, and I, I asked him, this is just, it still boggles my mind. I asked him when we were stealing the deal on this, I asked him to do it. And he said, yes, he loved the story. And he said, yes. I said, what was your emphasis? You don't have a major at Harvard, you have an emphasis. What was your emphasis at Harvard? He looks down, he's a very humble young man, he he doesn't want to look at me. And he finally looks up and he says, statistics. Wow. I said, you mean to tell me, as I sit here, wondering, you know, how I'm going to find my way back to the airport, you have, both sides of your brain are that big? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah yes yes they are yes they are and i would like to Uh-oh. borrow some on the mathematics side. you think you might you know like hold your hand over my head and make me good at math you know, but that's george bachev's and so he'll be out there and you know, he was on today good morning america cbs sunday morning and so we expect that he will do those shows again thanks to the publicist and um if they want me on there i will sit quietly and listen to it <laughs>
1: Well, I think uh, I think you can give him a run for his money when it comes to uh, to speaking and sharing knowledge. And
2: okay, um, so kind okay, of, so, so blessed, so blessed to be in his company.
1: Well, and, and it's wonderful to hear that mom still calls him Georgie um, because it's mom's. Are- Georgie!
2: <laughs> that's, it, that's it. That's how it goes. Yeah, he's gonna kill me for that. I don't.
1: <laughs> moms are amazing,
2: and you are. I had one. I you have had one. Yes, you did. Tell us about this room that I'm in right now. Wow. And and lived in the rooms uh, of so many hearts. You Mm -hmm. know, when I was on, on the air, Jody, I could, I could put some of the wisdom of my mom, put a picture of my mom and the comments would go like that. I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, Everybody loved my mother. Everybody loved Miss Polly. As Emerson said, men are what their mothers make them. And gee, I hope so. (laughs) <laughs> I hope I am the makings of my mother because she was extraordinary. She truly was, a lady of tremendous courage. Out of the depression, stuck through my father's alcoholism, we saw him to a sobriety and the most beautiful man you'd ever want to meet. Uh, a lady who learned from her codependency, who forgave and forgave and forgave. Oh. And you know what, Jody? I am I am so blessed. I managed to marry a woman that good. Oh. And I don't know how I got here, but I did. In fact, <laughs> here she is now. There she is. This, this is my wonderful wife. This is Dennett. We we are uh, we are newlyweds. And um, I cannot do this podcast without speaking of her and how we found each other. We had both given up. That's it. I'm out. I'm done. Don't, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, I'm going to go. She, she put I'm going to go live with the elephants. An hour, and she meant it. <laughs> Be <laughs> my lovely wife, uh, Dennett Everhart, uh, now Dennett a uh, family nurse practitioner, living with the elephants on the Serengeti plain. Met <laughs> and and we might have met one another there because I was going somewhere. I'm out. I'm retired. I'm done. I'm not doing this dating thing anymore. It's terrible. And I began to pray. I began to pray, Lord, I am not my own. I am yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. I'm, the white flag is huge. I covered myself in the white flag. <laughs> And there she was. It's
1: amazing when we surrender to the Lord where He brings us some blessings.
2: That's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what happened. Yes. And uh, and she's she is a work of art in my life. I can't speak enough praise of her. And um, and every every man ought to have uh, a wife like that. She's she is truly divine in every sure. sense. Well, Michael, that is um, that's such a wonderful story. I, I, I could just, we could
1: have a nine hour podcast of stories from Michael Cogden <laughs> and, 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 and the world would listen. But I want to get into our quote for today. In the Quotivation mm-hmm. Podcast, what we love to do is to be love able it. to provide a, a powerful quote that will help someone really just win their week. You know, people say that motivation, ah, motivation. It doesn't last, and it doesn't. Sometime, sometimes you and I have talked about some of the sideshows that happen in some uh, of these motivational speeches that, that the motivation doesn't last past the, es- it, past the, the exit doors.
2: And all that, yes. Yeah. That, that's, not, that's not inspiring. Not, not at inspired. all. My hand hurts. That's <laughs> it.
1: You know? That's right. That's right. And, and so what, what I really want from the Quotivation podcast is for people to find within them the motivation by the inspiration of a powerful quote and and i think it was Zig Ziglar that said that said people say motivation doesn't last and they're right neither does bathing that's why we recommend it daily
2: <laughs> that's right yes at least once a month whether you need it or not <laughs> right yeah, right please, by all means.
1: but 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 surely this can be something that our audience can take and and when they're weak and that's what I want for folks. And so this quote that you have for us today from, from William Faulkner um, mm-hmm. was from his Nobel Prize uh, banquet speech.
2: Tell us a little bit about this quote, and, and what does it say to you? It says that um, prevailing is a choice mm. that we must make. Uh, you know, Hemingway said, most men lead lives in quiet desperation. I'm seeing that out right there. God, sleepwalking through life, can't watch the news anymore, I'm not, I'm not willing to empathize with somebody else, I'm just going to keep my head down and keep moving. Mm-hmm. That's survival. That's barely breathing in and out. But Mr. Faulkner said when he picked up the Nobel Prize, I believe that mankind, humankind, will not merely survive, but mankind will prevail. Humankind will prevail. And what does that say to us? What does that call us to do? We are called to prevail. We are called to more than survival. We're called to more than the mundane. We are called to tap that extraordinary that's within everybody. It's there. Oh, it is there. Mm-hmm. It's just it's sometimes it lies in the ore, the ore of despair, and it's a choice. It's a choice we all make.
1: It is a choice, and and it's something that I see far too often. I've seen in the in the business world. I've mm-hmm. seen. And just in family and friends who go through the routine of waking up every morning, going to a job they despise, right. and and living for 5 o'clock on Friday. And I've talked right. about this before on one of my previous episodes, that, that
2: it's not, life is too short to live for four and a half days from now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Four for and a half days from now that end up being an anticlimax, after all.
1: Absolutely. We, we, we survive five days to try to enjoy two and somehow those numbers, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a statistics degree from Harvard, but somehow those numbers don't add up, Michael.
2: No, they don't. That, that much we know. <laughs> By golly, we're right there. Call George, get him on the phone. That, That's right. That we know. That's right. I have a, a great counselor friend and she, she has a, and my wife and I are like this. She has um, a couple uh, in her life they're friends and she said they're just absolutely disgusting how they love each other and she means that in a good way uh, and she finally asked me you know what what is it how do you do this because you see so many couples you can go to Costco go to Walmart and they're all kind of standing there and they're you know a thousand miles apart but you know you know five feet from each other maybe a foot from each other how do you do it the woman said to her friend we dance in the kitchen every night
1: hmm
2: Sometimes we make love after, sometimes we don't, but we dance every night in the kitchen. He loves me. I love him. He tells me. I tell him. He shows me. I show him. Gentlemen out there, when is the last time you took your significant other, took that person by the face, looked into that eye, set of eyes, and said, I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you. You and I don't want to hear it's like, well, she doesn't do that to me. No, 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 no. You go first, right? it. Right. Valentine's Day is coming. And you can go, you know, buy chocolates, buy flowers, buy all kinds of stuff, buy a, buy a negligee, but it will not match that moment of pure daring intimacy, daring love. Men can be such cowards when it comes to arrows love. So true. We're so. Too, I, I, I am not. I have to say, I'm taught by the best, taught by a wonderful woman. But you know, we're so craven, and we wonder why we're so lonesome.
1: Right. That's <laughs> right.
2: Wonder why it's like. Why am I not getting any? Well, <laughs> have you have you kept company with yourself lately? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's just it. They, they, just, they just don't dare to love. Hmm. Like love your wife. Right. Love your girlfriend, and watch, and she might look at you and say what have you done with my boyfriend? (laughs) What? Where is he? What have you done with him? What's happened to I I don't recognize you. Uh, And that'll be a great thing. That will be a great thing. And think about how much courage it takes to do that. And so many guys will make a million excuses. "Ah, I'm not doing that. I ain't doing that. Turn the ball game on. I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. You're not doing that because you're afraid to. Right. You're not doing that because you're afraid to be vulnerable. You're afraid that she won't love you back. Stop being afraid.
1: It's, it's so true. So true. And I, I think some of the greatest advice I received um, 26 years ago when my wife and I were walking down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember it well. <laughs> my father looked at me and he mm-hmm. said, son, remember, marriage has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with her. Right. And I, and I tried to emulate that. Of course, I failed miserably many, 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 many times. Correct. But every we time all we all do, we all do. But every time I fail, I come back around and we reconnect and it becomes about her and her marriage is about me. And right. and, and that's the message. And we talked earlier about how do we fix this division? How do we fix this hatred? How do we fix right. these issues in the world? Because it's not about us. It can't be.
2: It has to be about those around us. Harry Truman said it very well. It's remarkable what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Absolutely. That that applies in government. That applies in in every relationship we have. You know, responsibility is the thing we take. Credit is the thing we give. Yes. And and I I give my wife credit for, for pulling me out of the morass. I love her every single day. This goes to um, business relationships, professional relationships of every kind, and it goes to that person who's on the other side of the counter in a store someplace. And you can just see, you can just feel the despair. You can Mm. feel this person is barely surviving. Well, you both might prevail with a little bit of untempered, unexpected love. Yes. How are you? Doing all right? And we're so afraid to do it. It's like the most common admonition in the Holy Bible, the Christian Bible, is do not be afraid. It appears in there 365 times. That's the thing. Stop being afraid.
1: Let me ask you this question, Michael. As we, as we wrap this up, as, yeah. as, as folks are listening and, and thinking about this quote, I believe that man will not merely endure, he will prevail. Mm-hmm. How can someone take that? Apply it to what they're doing today, what they're doing in the moment, and when they're weak. What are the things they need to do to get out of this
2: mindset of survival? Uh, Stop believing all the voices you hear. Mm. Stop believing it. Discern. Curate. Curate carefully what comes into your mind, what goes down into your heart. Uh, And then stop the self. Self Self-deprecation is a wonderful thing self-destruction and it's rampant. So that that is despair. Yes. And there's so much of it out there. Uh, I, I see it in children. You get to about the sixth grade and the bullying that goes on and it lasts into their lives. I've I've, I've seen people bullied at work constantly. And of course, uh, online, turn from what does you harm toward what where you can do some good and dare to do it. I had a gentleman tell me one time in an interview, he said, you know, I I wake up sometimes. uh, He had won the Folk Heritage Award. He was a singer. Um, He said, sometimes I wake up and I'm feeling bad. But then I go out and I do something for somebody and I I forget about myself. I start feeling bad.
0: Hmm.
2: It's a homespun, but true. You you do something for somebody else. And that something could be simply a smile across a a store, across a, a mall, across a parking lot that it encourages somebody. It's like it's the the ultimate upshot of she Yes, you yes. belong. You belong among us. Mm. You more than belong. And we belong here together.
1: That's why he has won 32 Emmys, ladies and gentlemen, for his amazing stories, his ability to tell those stories. Michael Cogdill, thank you so much for being on the Cultivation Podcast. This has truly, truly been a blessing
2: for me. Jody, I am blessed and I am honored. And I have been surrounded by greatness. The, all those Emmys, all those accolades. I'm, I'm like uh, what Billy Graham said, uh, his son said of him, uh, he's like a turtle on a fence post. When you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get up there by itself. Mm. That's me. I've been surrounded by greatness, including this man right here, yes. folks. Jody, thank you. And thank you, every, every listener out there, thank you so much for spending a part of your life with us today. Well, I have no doubt that everyone
1: listening to this episode enjoyed every second with you, Michael. Thank you again for being on the Quotivation Podcast. Hey, why don't you stick around for a little dessert? You know, the Golden Girls always solve their problems over cheesecake, so let Blanche go get the whipped cream out of her bedroom, and let's settle in to enjoy the last slice of cheesecake.
0: How about some dessert before you go? There isn't anything that can't be solved over a slice of cheesecake. So before we wrap things up, sit back, relax, and enjoy The Last Slice of Cheesecake.
1: Edwin McCain is an American singer, songwriter, and guitarist whose songs... I'll be, and I could not ask for more. Both made it to the Billboard Top 40. He also wrote the forward to Michael Cogdill's book, Where Did Joe Go? Now, within this forward, Edwin says this, I couldn't help but tear up a little reading Where Did Joe Go as it beautifully captures how loving relationships feel. Oh, how we've lost the beauty of loving relationships in our society. We've allowed points of contention, disagreement, and differences of opinion to determine who we allow in our inner circles and who we cast away. Families are torn apart by opinions of which politician is the right one to lead our country, our state, our city. And we have replaced love with like-mindedness. We've allowed the dribble that flows through the airways and across our smartphone screens to be the source of our truth. But only for those points we agree with. Yet in the tempest of hate, anger, divisiveness, malice, there are a few voices that cry out in love. Michael Cogdill is one of those voices. As I I said earlier, I could could listen to Michael for hours, never get tired of the stories or his message. Now, here are a few things that I took away from our conversation today. Number one is that the stories of the common person are some of the most powerful stories that need to be told. Michael talked about George Campbell serving his fellow man on the beaches of Normandy. How, after surviving that awful hell, Mr. Campbell shackled himself with guilt because not one of those boys came home alive. But then he was also shown that success isn't always how we envisioned it to be. He was a hero. Because those boys, those men that paid for freedom with their lives didn't have to make that payment alone. George was there, holding their hand, easing their transition from this life. Those are the stories that need to be told, but rarely are. Michael also talked about how we're so busy shaming each other and bullying each other, whether it's in person or online. Change can only come when the heart of those that are the perpetrating these actions can be reached and touched. He talked about the young man that came to him after the book reading to say, Mr. Cocktail, you changed my life. Not because I'm a survivor of bullying, but because I'm a perpetrator. I was the worst the worst of the worst. And now I see I don't have to do that anymore. That's affecting real change. Michael's quote from William Faulkner was that, I believe that mankind will not only survive, but mankind will prevail. So how do we prevail? We have to each Search deep within our hearts and our souls and find that extraordinary that is within us all. We're not just called to survive, we're called to prevail. And it's going to take each and every one of us to achieve that. So, what is your extraordinary? How will you find it? How will you search for it? And then how will you allow your extraordinary to shine forth? How will you prevail? Hmm. Even better, how will you come alongside your fellow man and help him or her prevail as well? well I hope you're able to find your extraordinary and I hope you're able to come alongside that person in your life that needs that encouragement, that needs that extraordinary. And I hope you both win your week. That's all the time we have this week. I want to thank Michael Cogdill and Amy Real. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening. Until next time,
0: stay motivated. You have been listening to the Quotivation Podcast, hosted by America's leading emerging speaker, Jody Powell. If you would like to book Jody to speak at your company, conference, or next event, visit www.JodyPowellSpeaks.com. You can also email him at Jody, that's J-O-D-Y, at JodyPowellSpeaks.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Quotivation Podcast, and remember, stay cultivated.